Well, first of all, introduce yourself. Okay. I'm Bill Mazzetti. First of all, I'm a great friend of Kirk O'Fell. We've known, I've known you for years. Um, what most people don't know, Kirk- Mentored me sometimes. Kind of say. Kind of say. But Kirk had a weak moment, worked for Rosener for a while, and uh, uh, worked for JT and, uh, and Matt Engler. And JT is the the famous Justin Tinoco, now executive committee member, as is Matt. Um, kind of my little brothers in the business. Um, been at Rosen in 18 years, longer than I was at Mazzetti and Associates, and really came up three different ways. Um, started out in the in the data center business, believe it in, oh God, 1982, my college design thesis was a data center. One of my one of my mentors, also very close friends of my family and my father in San Francisco, Charlie Krieger. Charlie was an original data center engineer back in the Bay Area, um, started the first computer roundtable, which was kind of the, 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 the spirit animal of the Uptime Institute, and um, also a... Uh, uh, a mentor of Peter Gross when Peter was a teller. No kidding. Yep. Peter and no I share that history. So Charlie's old engineer, I mean, Charlie's a good a family friend. He was in the hospital the day I was born. Oh, wow. So first job out of the army uh, was working for Charlie. Well, hold on, back the whole truck up. Where are you originally from? I know you- San Francisco, born and raised, still live there. I know, but like now you, your backyard is like the zoo, right? But you weren't always in that na- neighborhood. You probably were- No, west central part of town. I live within three time. miles where I grew up. No, I traveled the world, lived all over the world for work. Um, but you were I, born and raised in San Francisco? Born and raised in San Francisco. And your father was like you, a PE? I guess. Yeah, he's has a, had, started his engineering firm. It's kind of funny. Um, so started started Mazzetti and Associates or Mazzetti Takashi and Parish back in 62, the year I was born. And what it, were their specialty? What were Electrical they? engineering. They, okay. That's all they did. And really did. They did healthcare. They did kind of general engineering, kind of anything that's, you know, anything in the region, right? Yeah. Uh, Dad's business grew. He was doing work for Safeway and did distribution centers, bakeries, soda plants. And so the Craigmont sodas in the old days, things like that for both Lucky and Safeway. And that's when they would do it all over the country. So worked from the East Coast to the West Coast. That's how dad got, you know, kind of grew the business, worked with a good friend of his name, Ed Benelli, who's, and Benelli and Associates is at that point and still is kind of the top industrial freezer guy. So if you're making ice cream or milk, they're those guys. And so um, work with, you know, work with them for years. Dad had a little niche business, probably had 15 guys working for him when I joined him. And then it kind of went a different direction. We got a lot bigger, but so started born and raised in San Francisco. Where do you go to like, where's that? Are you, first of all, were you an only child? Were you? Have- no, youngest of three. Um, I am uh, only two of us left. I uh, lost my oldest sister a couple of years ago. Aortic tear, gone in eight minutes. Uh, missed my sister immensely. But uh, yeah, it's okay. You know, everybody's got to go sometime. We're, the good, the, There's two things that everybody shares in common. You enter the earth and you leave the earth at some finite period of time. And that period of time in the middle, which is the point in which we um, dismiss or ignore our mortality in yeah. every ca- every sense. So well, I mean, not you, you with your- No, you spent time in the boats, right? So you you know, you spent time underway in the boats. I spent time, I spent time and you call it the teams. We call it the team seals. And, um, you know, I spent time in special forces. And the joke is for a lot of us in those businesses, especially as a young veteran or a young active duty at that point, you know, you just don't, the joke is we never thought we'd live this long. Yeah, and on all of things like that. All right, sure. I mean, you just you know you kind of live in the moment. You're living on you know deployment to deployment or or float to float or or downrange to downrange mission, and it's like yeah, you're just, and then you just wake up one day. It's like Jesus Christ, I'm beat to shit. Well, the good news though, like look, that knife cuts both ways. There's the benefit of that in which you get the most out of life, where most people. 
tend to think about their life in the future. Like, yeah. oh, I'm going to do that one day. Whereas when you're like, man, I shouldn't be around in a few years. You're like living it and your relationships with people are pretty genuine and real. The bad part is you can neglect certain things that you're going to need in the future that like your health is an example. How about where, kids? So that's something that happened to me and my wife is that, you know, but when I'm always deployed or I'm always working and, and, it, and I'm going to tell you a funny story during the process about, you know, kind of perspective. And so in the moment you're doing what you think is right and all of a sudden you miss out on something pretty significant. And that's, you know, those, those, but you know, it, it's, and sometimes I, you know, you, you ask me about kind of what you want to talk about. It's really not about you in life. It's about the people around you and, the, and how good a husband, father, family member, teammate you are to everybody else and do you add more value than you take i mean so you take every day because you consume oxygen you eat a meal you know you're working you get paid that kind of stuff but do you give basically are you creative are you giving more than you take in and so um but you're right you can live in the moment and i have guys that you know are that way and you know you've seen that it's kind of like you've seen when you go back to veterans uh veterans events and guys really never kind of escape that it's just like going back to high school or college reunions it's like jesus christ that guy's still 18 years old and he's not 60. So, oh, okay. wow. And you see that. I mean, that's that's kind of life in general. And I think sometimes people will set – I think you're right, live in the moment. But I think as you are in the moment, you have to continue to evolve. Now, some of it, like as, as veterans, you're evolving because it's a survival instinct, literally. I mean, you evolve and get better skills because you prevail that day or on that mission. Sometimes you don't. Um, and so I think that that's uh, – I think living in the moment. But you're right. When you're under 30 – and you are a swashbuckling gunfighter or you're on float and you're, you know, a 24-year-old kid driving a half a billion dollar piece of hardware around under the ocean. That's a pretty cool lifestyle. A couple billion dollars for each couple boat. billion now. Yeah, by the way, when you put all the ordinance on the damn thing. It's <laughs> well, like, that doesn't even include those, right? Yeah. So my thing would be, um, so you were the youngest of three. I'm the youngest of three. And like, was your father, before he was an engineer, was he former military? He's from that generation, which Draft. everyone's- So served, World War II yeah. drafted. So he was in the Navy, a couple of years in the Navy. He was an electrician's mate in the Navy, got out. So it wasn't really a career thing, wasn't a real focus. But that's um, what led to him being an electrical engineer is being an electrician's made in the Navy. Yeah, I mean, he, he went to, it was funny because he actually took two years. So he went to Santa Clara like I did. I had a lot of choices to go to college, mostly because I was a really good lacrosse player out of, college, out of high school. Were and, you? Yeah. What position did you I play? played MIDI to start with and I played attack when I got, later in college when I got to club Were you pretty fast or were you just strong? What was it? Uh, a little bit of both, actually. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm playing. You know, How tall are you now? 5'11". Okay, so were you 5'11 in high school? Yeah, five ten. I mean, I didn't get much bigger after really middle of college. Lean and mean. Yeah, well, I mean, I played my playing weight was like one ninety eight. Okay, so so you so I mean, lacrosse was big back in those days. I guess not at all. Complete, I was like, complete, wow, I didn't even know. Lacrosse so in the Bay Area, complete cult sport. So eight high schools played, and how I got into it because I wasn't a very good soccer player, and I loved loved soccer football. Um, couldn't play football because I couldn't get a clearance because I had some weird German sounding Schlotterman's disease in the right knee, which is basically growth induced tendonitis. So it's like, I wanted to play a sport that I can go basically, you know, beat another kid with a stick, have a team sport, you know, dynamic and mm -hmm. lacrosse was the last thing. And lacrosse came to the, came to Santa, Cla same to SI and also Santa Clara when I got there, because one of the teachers, um, his, um, there was some interest in starting it. And then his college roommate, um, a guy named John Carney, uh, came out, was out in San Francisco working. Now, John, by the way, you kind of, kind of fast forward. John is now the lieutenant governor of Delaware. Oh, wow. 
Okay, so he went from San Francisco. Yeah, he's he, from Delaware originally. So okay, started so. there, and it was just a sport. Loved it, and then played in college, and then I played I played club ball afterwards, and I played till I was about twenty nine. Then, you know, when you're traveling for work a lot, and you kind of you kind of go from the first line to the second line to the fourth line because you're not around a lot. Then I started playing hockey because the funny thing about lacrosse, when your feet stop moving, you stop moving. Yeah. At least in hockey, when you stop you moving, you glide. might be able to glide. A little bit. <laughs> I'm all about those lazy sports like that. So I'm not saying. Oh, you could say that, Cole. You do the. T- Hey, listen, give me give me a break on that, bro. I, but I'll tell you this: the only sport I really truly enjoy going and watching live is hockey. Oh. All day I'll watch it. I don't even know the rules. Like sitting down watching it on TV, I can maybe do it during the playoffs. But I have a hard time. Like I, I've I know you're a golfer and yeah. you golf all over the world. I've never been to the Masters, but I've been invited a few times. But I'm not a golfer. Like there's certain things. Hockey's one of those things that I could get involved in and get behind, and I don't, I don't have the coordination. Hockey skill and basketball, play. I think, live are the two best sports. I think football live for the just where there's you know big I think, college I think football, basketball because they flow and it's, it's a flow intimate. Game. It's much yeah. more intimate. I feel yeah. like when I go to the other pro games, I'm like, yeah. typically you're in a box and you're so far away. Right. You so know. big Niners fan, uh, been so since since the since 60, that's right. Dad, dad had tickets in '64. Keys are I got them in the will kept until they went to Santa Clara. And the one thing about Santa Clara, when they moved there, they turned the stadium 45 degrees. They put us right back on our old section, basically in seating. Good seats. It was 20 yard line visitor side, north end zone and on the long side, but you're facing directly in the sun. You're baking. I mean, mm-hmm. you're down there and you're just, I mean, you're cooking. So you have to first, so the suffrage is you have to bake. And the second part is you have to watch the Niners. Which has to be miserable to have to do that. Not life. the last few years, but there's a few uh, years that can be pretty. I don't know. I grew up. My family's from Northern California. My mom and dad were born and raised in like Petaluma, yeah, Santa Rosa area, and uh, I grew up going to Candlestick. And you know, I mean, like I grew up like it was the law. You were a Niners fan, yeah. but that that's back when you had Montana and yeah. I mean, Steve Young. That's in the days where it's really been the question in San Francisco: Is it really a baseball town or football town? And it's what do we really. Do? What do you so, think? so if you kind of, I think it's, I think it depends on the year. I mean, it's gotta I think be a football that town. It's more of a football town, I think. But you know, I've always liked the Giants. <clears throat> but it's funny you mentioned Petaluma because my dad grew up in the marina. So if you know San Francisco, he grew up two blocks away from the Palace of Fine Arts, and then his his father uh, had a doctorate in chemistry, worked for Stauffer Chemicals, which is now uh, the the Chevron Ag business, and he sold ag. Ag chemicals in the in Sonoma County in in the wine seventies. Oh okay. no, shit! I'm talking like the thirties and forties, fifties oh. kind of stuff. My father goes to Santa Clara. His younger brother, my uncle Bob, his his brother Bob, my uncle Bob, UB. Um, uh, they moved to Healdsburg. Actually, moved to Fulton. Two, bought two hundred acres of wine of a vineyard. And we're there, and then they moved into, if you know, Healdsburg now, pretty high end. They had, the, like, the house on the corner of the river, which I think they just sold that lot for $12 bucks. But, you know, so my family moved to the country. And if you look at kind of where my family's from in the old country, which is really in in uh, Piemonte, around Asti, it looks a lot like that. And it's like, and every weekend when they're in San Francisco, they'd, still, they'd have a country place to go up there, and they'd, they'd hunt on the weekends. They'd do picnics and the whole thing. So it kind of looks like the Texas weekend lifestyle for an outdoorsman. So, man... Th- I love unpackaging this stuff because I've spent uh, so much time with you. Um, normally, though, we're with a lot of other people and yeah. we're shooting stuff and going bang and you don't get into some of the good things. My favorite part about the podcast is I get to kind of unpeel people like a, an onion and try to- We're under- now calling you the white skinny Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> is that my new nickname? Yeah, I guess. just wait till JT gets a hold of you. I don't know that t-shirt yet, but I'll tell you this. Um, speaking of which, I have my famous, my Bill Mazzetti shirt. So for those that are do. 
I am unable to quit as I'm currently too legit. This was a gift from yeah. Bill Mazzetti and I had to wear it on our podcast. So we do it, you know, the fact that- What was the history behind this? It just came in the so middle it's, So the fact is, you know, uh, there's probably six guys I send like memes and stuff up oh, Instagram yeah. to all the time. And, and there's two kind of things I'm known for. I get bored, I'm stuck in traffic or at the airport. I start calling my friends because I wanted somebody to talk to. Of course. And then the other part was you're on there and go, man, hey, JT and, and, and Kirk would love this. And I just <laughs> ordered for you and I just send it and <laughs> random stuff shows up at the house. Oh, I love it. So I just thought it'd be kind of funny. I wore it one day to like a soccer game. My daughter's yeah. like, dad, you can't wear shit like that ever again. In public where I'm going to be. And I was like, this is the only shirt I could wear from this point forward now when I see you. So. Exactly. So if, if kids had a little more judgment, they would like just... Except, except the humiliation once. Oh, for sure. Versus now you're, you just keep doubling down. You keep parlaying that baby forward. Last year, her freshman year, you know, first, whatever, the homecoming. That's the is, baby. Of the, that's the my baby. daughter's the youngest. Yeah, you met her. Um, she's, um, she's got two older brothers. Yeah. She's a little bit um, high speed, low drag, sort of speak. She's she running the Tough Mudders with you and all that crazy shit? Smokes them. Right. Smokes them. She does all of them. Like she is hands down. One she's of like the kids. littlest brother, but she's just got a case of the, case of the ass. A hundred percent. Right. And she was a tomboy her whole life. And then one day woke up and asked for makeup. And I was like, that's not happening. Yeah. <laughs> but she's a super girl now. And uh, I went to her homecoming. Like uh, it, it was new for me. Yeah. Like my, my, my son's coming home with girlfriends all the time. I was yeah. like, that's no big deal. I'm used to that. But, shit. The, but the girl's perspective, having a daughter is a different. Yeah. Not even the same. Yeah. Not even like when LD was pregnant. It's like, Hey, I have, you know, nie I have nieces. So I kind of, I kind of have the, the uncle bill. It's a different ball game. I think uh, one time it was like JT and LD and I were sitting talking and LD's wife, uh, Miss Brooke was pregnant with his, his daughter and, mm -hmm. and he has two boys too. And I was like, Hey, it ain't anything like, it's not like another toothbrush. You're like, there's going to be a whole shift of dynamics. Yeah. Right. And, and I go to uh, my daughter's first high school dance. Like, yeah. you know, it's, a, you know, they do the staging of photos at somebody's yeah. house and you show up and all the parents are awkwardly, you know, and I, um, I bought this before January 6th, but, um, maybe it was a year or two ago, mm -hmm. uh, I was in park city Christmas and I was with mini Bon Jovi. Oh, yeah, you, guys were, you guys were mentioning that trip. Yeah. And we were, um, just making bad decisions from the bottom of the hill to the top of the hill. You know, we're walking up the that hill. That does sound like you guys though, just in general though. But you know, on the <laughs> other hand though, you're still converting oxygen to carbon dioxide and there's no visible marks on you. How do we, I know like there are times where we'll ask each other, I'm like, how is it that we survive and all these other people that we know, knowing what we would go like deep in the paint sometimes, but. Yeah, we, but not stupidly so. So how you survive is that that's a point where I think both of you guys have a unique skill and, and JT not being a veteran and you being that there's a little light that starts blinking in the back of your head that just goes, get on, just tap the brakes just for a second. I'll tell you this. The way I've always viewed it is <clears throat> you'll never, you'll never see JT and I both going full tilt at the same time. And the reason why we're such strong partners, I think is because when he's, when he's letting loose, then I know that I have to make sure that someone's there to catch him when he jumps nope. and vice versa. Yeah. Now, by the way, the funny part was, if you've ever seen Tinoco and Engler together, oh. they, they are, they're like. <laughs> the blind leading the blind. Just, it is some of the funnest stuff I've seen. Like Engler himself, like, dude, Engler's a savage anyways. He did, he did yeah. that helicopter jump with us. He, yeah. he was the last one and made sure that he went the highest. So he, and I have to make sure I say that because. Now, did you guys helo cast that or did you guys, um, did you guys fast rope out of that? Did you I parachute wish. out of it? So get, I'll tell you the story. So anybody. Jumping out, I don't like jumping out of helicopters because there's, there's too much fall, none of, none of throw, but that's a. Yeah, but that's an army. I mean, like, listen, you're used to the big boy stuff and we're going to unpack it. I've, jump, I've jumped out of every, literally damn thing, everything that flies. So we are going to. We're going to we'll shift gears in that stuff here in a second, but I'll tell you like at PTC, that was, 
I was flying into PTC and I was like my brother, uh, one of my brother's yeah. army guy, you know, he's at some, oh, yeah. you know, he's in Aspen or Vail, we know so, rep. Yeah, yeah, but he's, he's doing some sort of investment thing. And he's like, Hey, if you're, and he's like, Hey, I'm out here skiing. And I'm like, Hey, I'm on a plane into Hawaii. I'm sitting next to my COO, yeah. which is Rob, who he knows and, and JT's. A, yeah. And I go like, uh, I'm going to Hawaii. And he goes, listen, if you go, go look at my buddy, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he owns Trident Adventures. I'm like, what is it? And he goes, you jump out of helicopters. It's he's a Navy SEAL, and you get to do a lot of fun stuff. And I was like, that sounds like my speed. So before we had even landed in Hawaii, you're on the plane Wi-Fi. Uh, yeah, I, I go to my I saw me as my EA, and she is the gate, the ultimate gatekeeper, right? So, um, and she goes, listen, I'll sort this. So before we landed, she booked like a group of twelve. Yeah, I didn't even know what we were doing, and we didn't even. I mean. I think it was the day before the event and JT and I'm like, oh yeah, we have these 12 things. We better figure out who's going to come with us to go jump out of this helicopter. You show up and it's like, I have no idea what we were getting ourselves into. Yeah. We show up and um, this guy is is humble and nice as you can imagine. And uh, Navy SEAL was an instructor. He's mm -hmm. the only guy on earth that has like this approval by the FAA to even do this type of stuff. And um, he takes us out and he's like, what do you want to do? I'm like, I just want to have fun. And he's like, well, there's something I'm like, just make sure we have a great time. I don't... Like all that other stuff is noise. Let's just go have fun. Yeah. Go out. You go to the Magnum PI place. You yeah, sit in which one, they put three houses on now, which is kind of a bummer. But well, no, but there's uh, like they have the car and you get to get yeah, yeah, yeah. you know all that stuff, and it was pretty cool. And then from there, you get in these helicopters and you go through some training. I mean, like yeah. these guys are military, so they are not gonna. They want you to have a good time, but they want you to be alive. So we, you know, generally go, a really strong business plan at that point. It's not a Don't bad idea. Kill the customer. <laughs> it's, it's 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 not a good business. If I could model. put a zero Yelp rating because I died. <laughs> Just. So listen, I don't even know this guy. He, my brother, took his sons out there a few yeah. times, and and uh, I'm like, hey, I'm the youngest of those of the brothers, and let's do this. And and Rob is a team guy too, so those mm -hmm. two guys were basically thumbbagging than each other and stuff. And we um we fly out, and then um you know they they are like, hey, look, you could jump anywhere between ten feet and forty feet, and we're like, well, how much extra do we have to pay to to go above that? Like, how high can we go? He's like, well. About 60, it starts feeling like concrete when you hit it. Hold or on. your knees end up on your forehead. He goes, the highest we ever had was 70. And I was like, I'll take it. I'll do it. And he goes, well, I'd like to see you jump first one time. Maybe on the second try, I'll let you go. I just, and you know, and I know that like seeing things on movies, different. Doing them yourself in which you realize like, okay, man, I'm really putting myself in harm's way here. And I have to have the emotional capacity to make sure I don't panic. Because when you're dropping, um, if you don't land the right way, yeah, if you land too far going one angle, then hand it over, your feet are apart. It, it's, I mean, stuff snaps off. Yeah. Oh, man, you could hurt yourself real bad. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think Matt went at and 65. Way, Matt went at 65. I know. If you haven't noticed, we're not as young as we used to be. And then if you do <laughs> get right. hurt, you don't heal really fast. Listen, I, I think I stopped drinking just so I could, ha I mean, obviously I'm having yeah. a beer or something like that now, but speaking of which, you need another beer. Um, Absolutely. My thing is, I, uh, I wanted to be able to have more fun and I realized that I wasn't able to heal as fast as I used to. So, but we, um, we, we jumped out and then, and then there's a, you know, safety swimmers in a boat there. And then next thing you know, you're tanked up. If you have your license, you're tanked up and you're in the water. And then he gives you those little torpedoes you put between your legs, yeah. you know, like you could hold them in front of you, like little, like, I'm sure you've seen. I those. got dive certified. Hang on to your hat. 1976. Holy cow. I like before, Where was that at? Uh, Mendocino. 
No like, kidding. Like Van Damme State Park, 10 feet of- Lake Mendocino? No. Mendocino, okay. Pacific Ocean, kelp bed, 10 foot of visibility, 50 Super degree cold, water. great white shark crap, it'll breed yeah, A little farther north, but it's still like, you know, you're, you're definitely- There's like danger fifth, there. You're definitely fifth on the food chain out there. All right, well, listen. So, um, but anyways, that was such a good time. Next year, you have to do it with us. And Absolutely. I, I already booked, uh, that guy- the, the event itself and the videos and all the things they did. So if anybody that's listening, if you go to Hawaii for your family visit, like yeah. go hook up Trident Adventures because that was one of the greatest times that we had. And I've got to do a lot of cool, this industry offers us the opportunity to do just about everything. Would you agree? Indeed. I mean, we we're jumping out of helicopters and, you know, Jesse on the team and, you know, a couple of our customers and guys on the team are out racing Lamborghinis up around the island, right? So I'm like, you can have a good time in this space and still really, you know, do a lot of good things. Agreed. So, um, but that was a good time. I'm sh and, and I, it's funny cause like Rob was doing it and Rob's like, cause he's like you, he comes from a, an SF background and he's got to do way more exciting things. But if you're, I mean, a lot of the non-veterans, yeah. it was awesome. But heights, heights and jumping fear is, uh, fears a lot of people. I mean, they, you don't jump right. I mean, th there's a, there's a unit guy that got killed last year cause he fell off a fast rope. I mean, that's, that's a, all the time. The, the fast roping injuries are real common. Uh, it's like you just lose grip or you kind of get a little sideways and you come off the rope and, you know. I think that I would feel better jumping out of a helicopter than fast roping, right? Because yeah. that's a lot of mechanics to put together in terms of between the head and the hands, you know. But shifting back to you, you know, you, so you were born and raised in San Francisco mm -hmm. and you're the youngest of three. Indeed. Your father was an electrician's mate in the Navy, got mm -hmm. an electrical engineering PE, mm -hmm. had his own firm, was a partner of that. What made you go to Santa Clara? I know that you were playing, you know, lacrosse and club and stuff, but when you, why did you pick Santa Clara? I mean, great school, by the way, great women's soccer. I know yeah. that too, but um, I know that school very vividly. I know where it's at. So mm -hmm. you picked that school because it was close to home, I guess. Well, or? it's so let's back up a little bit. So yeah. But, how do you know so, you're going to get in the army? Now? So it, it's kind of, it, it's so kind of the punchline is you kind of follow your friends and you, you, all of a sudden you turn around and go, wait a second, I'm in a really different space. So, so grew up in San Francisco, Catholic school kid. Go to St. Cecilia's, uh, end up a lot of St. Cecilia's kids go to SI. My father was a- What's was SI, Santa Clara? St. Ignatius, St. Ignatius. Okay. Prep, Jesuit school, um, out in the avenues. <coughs> My dad went, it was over by USF, um, went there for high school and uh, just, you know, got, so good lacrosse player. So the funny part in high school is this is where, you know, clearly if you're looking at, you know, national programs, which are really east of the Mississippi, it's not like Notre Dame or Denver or some of the schools that are kind of, I mean, say east of the Mississippi, I mean- the old joke, the old joke during um, uh, for many years with Goldman Sachs, which was a long time as Eddie client, which was the eastern, the western district of San Francisco started at the Hudson River, and so really, if you look at lacrosse, it's kind of like not the East Coast; it's about like a about a hundred mile swath from the Atlantic Ocean in. Sure, and so really yeah. wasn't on the West Coast. You get a lot of transplants come out, so started playing like I said because I couldn't get, I couldn't play football. And I couldn't play soccer because I, one, I, I couldn't get a medical clearance. One, I wasn't any good. So, you know, it's kind of like, I'm still a huge, I'm still a huge uh, European football fan today to this day. Who's your team? Arsenal. Okay. And has been for years since the Invincibles. And so um, doing real well this year. But anyway, so go to SI, uh, lifelong friends out of SI, um, get recruited. So what's funny is that, you know, you they have something in the old days called the lacrosse guide. It was like the book that comes out every couple of weeks and it prints the national stats. And so I'm 26 in the country and scoring as a senior. And so, you know, stupid kid, what do I know? Okay, I'm gonna send a college application to Duke, Yale, Cornell, and uh, Johns Hopkins. Johns Hopkins has to be the national champion. Just, 
So uh, literally, I mean, and this is not the days where, you know, you None have these kind of cloistered either. college counselors, which my sister-in-law is one, and she's really good at it. But it's like, yeah, you just kind of, you're filling out your application and, you know, you do the essay and it literally says, you know, what's your what's your high school sports experience? I'm Capital lacrosse team, da 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 Not a particularly good team, but there's three, three or four of us play really well. And so I basically just take the lacrosse guide, Xerox the sheet, staple it to the, the application and mail it. The AD from Johns Hopkins calls the AD at SI like five days later and goes, who the hell is this kid? Because there's like three of us on the top 50 for scoring. Two went to Novato High and there was me. And it's like, we've been wondering where the hell these, what the hell's going on out there? He goes, yeah, he's, there's some, like, it's like some club sport here, but this is the real deal. And he goes, and there's two other kids you might want to look at. So it's funny. So um, got into Yale, terrible, terrible engineering program. It's all general engineering, no electrical. I really wanted to go to Cornell. Uh, 5,000 kids come in for like 250 seats. I had great, great grades, 1,500, 1,400 board scores, you know, great lacrosse system. And goes, and they're like, dude, we, you don't, your grades aren't good enough. You're shitting me. I got a three, six and I got 1,400 board scores and I'm a, I'm a national scorer. He goes, yeah, dude, there's like five take guys. Take a number. Like, yeah, right. A there's number. a ton of Yeah, those. we're serving 34. <laughs> and so, and then um, with Duke, it was funny because in that case, it was like a three-step process. And I got through like the, the second one. I go, oh, this is too much goddamn work. And I threw it aside. So my, but my folks are really close. Just go to school wherever you want. And so, so I go, which is really funny because you talk about kind of a culture shock. So you come up on the West Coast. There's not really rough parts of town. You know, remember, this is the 80s in the like, East. Wow. How about so, now? <laughs> well, it's so, you think about like Harlem in the 80s, Baltimore in the 80s, where it's rough. I mean, we didn't have that kind of racial tension out West. So Mazzetti's out there. He, I go on that like week-long school trip and you get you get Memorial Day off. That's the day they have the combine at Johns Hopkins. Got my gear, jump on the train, ball, you know, Washington, Baltimore, 45 minutes, pull off in the station. It's eight o'clock in the morning. I come outside and it's like, okay. And I start walking up to Johns Hopkins like, oh shit. I, I mean, it, it's like, I'd never seen anything like that. So I just start running through the neighborhood because, you know, little little skinny white kid going yeah. up the galley. It's like, I mean, and it's just, it was kind of that real culture shock. And and so I get to, I get up to, uh, I get up to um, a Homestead Stadium and I come in and I'm like, an hour early. It's like, you say, Bill, why are you here so early? You, ex, you're excited. It's the I go, safest time to get I go, sir, I, I says, uh, no, coach, I, uh, I I ran from the train station. He goes, how fast did you do? He goes, 18 minutes ago. Well, that would be like a top percentile. I go, <laughs> well, I says, I would say, and my, my deadpan reply was, is I think um, uh, whether it's true or not, I go, um, fear is a great motivator. I don't think I have that on a lacrosse field. So I had a great, had a great combine, got offered. And then it's like, it's Baltimore in February. It's like, it's cold and it's snowy and oh, kind of dreary. And I go, dude, it's like 64 degrees at home. And it's like, I'm going back to Cali. So I end up going to Santa Clara, gone to, gone to Berkeley, Santa Clara and USC. USC is just starting the, uh, the, uh, the engineering program, which ends up being a good program. Went to Santa Clara. Just that's it kind of, kind of yeah. fell there by default. Good school. Great got school. great friends at that point. Went through RTC there. Same thing. You're in the dorms. Guys across the hall, your buddies are on RTC. Why don't you go along? Great. Did that. Kind of went through the whole program. Um, come through at the end. Uh, get my engineering degree. You get commissioned the next day. and Actually, you get commissioned the day before, kind of like they do at the academies. You get you get pinned, and then you go you walk the next day. And then uh, it, it's kind of funny because um, the, the military was a real break for my family. Because what year is this, by the way? 84. So I'm 64. So in 84. Yeah, 84. Okay. And the military is kind of still have this, like the Vietnam hangover. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, it's not like the most glorious place to probably be back then. No, but, but you know what? It's kind of funny. So you, you just kind of you follow your friends. And so um, the funny part was that 
Um, my folks completely disagreed with the idea. My father being kind of a kind of like his from father. day one, from like your freshman year, or like hey, when you graduated. No, I kind of kind of signed the uh, I kind of signed the you signed the contract when you're a junior, and uh, and it was like my family disowned me. Said, hey, we don't agree with it. We're we're paying for college. We're not paying for college anymore. And I had like ten grand in the bank. I had enough money to kind of get through your my RTC last two years. Didn't cover that? No, you know why? Because all the all the scholarships were gone. Hmm. So come out and they said, okay, you want a brand? So you get an application, just like the academy. So like, what branch do you want? Now the academy, you know how they do it? They do it by class ranking. First guy gets, yeah. First guy or gal gets their their assignment and you know their their branch and their. So if the first person wants to go to Buds or Fly or super competitive or you know uh, Surface Warrior or some Mariner, you kind of get that spot, and then it kind of just force ranks all the way down. So you know I get the whole thing and they go, well, why do you want to be an infantryman? Well, I like the infantry. It goes, so it's like, you don't want me an engineer? I go, oh, I'm going to do it the rest of my life. I got a reserve commission. So I said, but here's the deal. I need the first possible class. I'm freaking broke. I have like 600 bucks to my name. I've got a car and I got to drive across the country and I got to get, I got to get 600 bucks, which is about enough gas to kind of sleep in the car and work across the country. Get to Fort Benning. Um, and the, so I graduate the 12th of June. I get to Fort Benning in, on July the 3rd. Sign-ins July the 5th, and it's 300 second lieutenants in the infantry officer basic course. 275 are from West Point. Oh, wow. So I'm in the high-speed class. So you kind of come out of West Point, bingo, bango, bongo, you're right there. So you kind of do what everybody does. You go to infantry school, airborne school, ranger school, come out. That's where I got the watch. That was my graduation gift from ranger school. They give you a Rolex? Oh, your dad no, got you a Rolex. No, bullshit. I bought it at the exchange. It was $300 in 1985. Ah, so, good for tax you, free. man. Good tax for you. Free. So that's kind of my wedding ring to the army, my wedding ring to my wife. And so- um, oh, I love it, man. And so uh, so I go in and always had kind of like the special forces mission. Uh, they don't take, you know, SF is, I, I, you know, it's different in the teams. In the, in the Navy, you can kind of branch select and go in there offhand. And in the Army, it's a little different for both the Tier 1 units then. And and, I, and the perspective is the Tier 1 units weren't quite around as they were um, in the middle 80s when I graduated from college, started going through through SF school. And so you kind of spend a couple of years in and you apply to go in. Um, sometimes you're recruited. Sometimes people come up and tap in the into shoulder. Into SF? Like into in, SF. Okay, in so but by then, can you even apply until you got out of ranger school? Or No, no, I, you do that up front, but you need a couple of years. Typically, typically they only take captains, and so that's a three-year stick. Now, I was a bit of a controversial candidate because in the reserves, the promotions are half the speed of the, of the, of the, of the active army. So I'm a, still a second lieutenant. I get boarded in. And you're boarding in, you got to get interviewed by the, by the receiving unit. You got to get boarded in by you. And that was right when the USOCOM was coming around a couple of years later. But you got you know, kind of boarded in. You got interviewed by the school. Um, you go through the psych batteries, everything else. And then, uh, which is kind of how the, they handle the tier one guys now. But I was influenced by, because one of my good friends from that time is Greg Kane. So Kaner's uh, down in Orlando now. Uh, and so he was at Fort Bragg working in SOCOM or the version of it then and, uh, got to know a guy named Dick Potter. Now, Dick was the original deputy commander in Delta. And so Dick was, you know, kind of the, I call him the ghost because he was the guy that was the advanced, advanced, um, AFO guy, basically the advanced force guy in Turan for a month before, um, and it's all in Fort Benning still. Yeah. So no, they're Fort Bragg. So, okay. but kind of got to know guys and it's like, okay, well, you know, it's pretty Sounds like pretty cool shit. And so what happens, your friends keep going. So I get to SF school the first phase. And the reservists come in, in that case, in four phases. You go in phase one, which is kind of basic skills. Everybody in can do it. Phase two was um, skill generation phase. Phase three was SEER. And phase four is Robin Sage, which is the validation exercise. And they mix it up as they do now. They move SEER around. They put the they put the defense, they put the D-Lab and the uh, language training in there. Where do you go to SEER school at? 
In Fort Bragg. In Fort Bragg. And so it's funny because I went through the second class and Nick Rowe was still running it then. And so there's kinds of times in your career you kind of sit down and go, I mean, you're just lucky to be in the right place at the right time and talk to kind of a luminary. Got to talk to Nick Rowe for an hour. And, and what was about that was be very thankful for what you've got because it could be a lot worse. And that was kind of the punchline after an hour. But Nick was just a great, it was actually a really good guy. Of course, got killed a few years later in the Philippines. Was, he was assassinated, was sitting in a car in the Philippines. But anyway, so go through SF school, come out, and I'm uh, and I get my heart broken. And so in the old days, like literally from a woman or was from it? a woman. Okay. So I get my heart broken. I'm dating somebody who I, I thought was the one, and clearly after meeting my wife, she pales in comparison. Um, but the long story short was that you know, and you know, a bunch of guys that have been in that in the, the in the in either in the teams or in in the special operations community, we're all a little damaged. Okay, we're all a little kind of angry broken. at the world. There's, we're all a little broken, and in in some way, shape, or form, the most interesting people. Exactly. So in the old days, though, before they had tier one, it was all special mission branch. You just so if you're a SEAL or you're, I mean, in the Navy, they'd have that group that would handle the, the boat guys and the SEALs, and on our side, it'd be the Rangers. We only had two Ranger battalions back then. It wasn't the full regiment. They had they had um, eight SF groups, and it was like the British. They had an active and a reserve group that were aligned, like the SAS. They had um, and the other smaller units, and there were other smaller units that weren't like the unit that were special missions units. So you just call the desk. It's like, and literally, guys would get would like lose a job or you know or literally um uh teachers want to take a year off go hey they call the desk go hey i i need a deployment for a year yeah yeah what do you want i i need six months and and they go okay we'll call you back in a couple days and we'll give you some options it's like shut up that's i would have if i was given that option i would have taken that option that seems like a pretty nice option it it was it's a little more it's a little more um i would say oh it's not like that anymore yeah for sure But it was funny because uh, they called back and says, hey, listen, you got, you know, um, I was in 12th group and aligned to first group, APAC. Um, and so they go, well, you speak Italian, so how does how does Spanish sound? We'll send you to seventh group in Central America. Great. That actually <laughs> so, sounds cool. It was cool. And so you're like 26 on the plane. You're down to, to Gujagapa. You transship out to Riojato and you basically do. So what I spent is really spent over the next... 24 months is during drug interdiction. That was the, the war on drugs, which is a fundamentally a mission to- Now, what year is this? Is this 85, 86? Oh, no, no, it's later than that. So I go through the queue in 87, early 88. Okay. Yeah, so I mean, it's kind of 88. Yeah. So 88, 89. And so it's, uh, you get on the wheel. So it's like you, you got to do missions, you get good at it. You know. But listen, what were you doing as a civilian at that time? Because you were a reserve. Still so, doing, so I worked- Were you working for, for your old man's shop? Mm. Not yet. So one people, most people don't know. You can't get qualifying experience. So being a professional engineer is like being a CPA or a lawyer or something like that. You got to get yeah, so a lawyer. You kind, of, you, you, you kind of test and then you bar in. Well, most other, most other, I think for the CPAs and certainly for the engineers, you need three years of qualifying experience. You need kind of apprenticeship work basically, yeah. and you get recommendations and you get boarded in and then you take the exam and then you get then you get you get tabbed out. You get sealed out. So what happens at that point, I'm working for dad and then I was working for Charlie Krieger and then I ended up working for a company called Keller and Gannon, which is now owned by Xander, which was owned by Knight at the time, now owned by NW Xander. And so they did a lot of DOD work, just who I had him to fall in with. Um, and so it'd be like, I was, you kind of talk about funny, I'm working for them and, you know, I'm sent to Germany for four months to work. And so where do I do weekend drill as a reservist? With some SF unit in Germany? I, I call the first of the 10th and bad tolts and go, I literally like, you know, catch the duty officer. Okay, dude, this is like, Hey, this is like, you know, 
Lieutenant Mazzetti here. I'm in Frankfurt working. I got to like, I got to do weekend work and go, you got, you got to, I mean, I'll do anything. I'll come down and, you know, clean the coffee pots. He goes, no problem. Just, hey, we got stuff. We got, we got a little bit of work to do. So come on now. We do target work or you can do paperwork. Fine. Jump on the train, you know, come down for a week and come back and do my thing. So it was kind of in the old days. It was, yeah, I would say feels much more informal than it did today. But you were being able to play both sides. You yeah. were being able to get that. E- I would go experience. in and out. I go out for six months. I come back for three months, go out for six. Then I came back for a month and went out for another six. And that's kind of the, the end of it. And so if you remember the movie, American Sniper, where mm-hmm. it's like, he's on the roof and it's like, I want to come home now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how it is. It's like, there's a point. I have friends that have gone all the way to the four-star rank. I've had friends that have gone, who've commanded significant tier one units. And it's like, they're good with it. They keep going. And there's a real happy ending to one of those stories, which, um, but it's, uh, um, and a lot of happy endings to those stories, by the way, but there's, it's just like, I, I want to go home now. I- I'm kind yeah. of done. Yeah. You kind of, uh, I, I've not been in that same situation from the movie, but I'll tell you this. I've you, seen it. I've you, been like, you know, when the box is full. So it, that's it. And it's like, it's time. And, and it's, it's really, that was about 31 and two things. One, I, I was just about to get, I was, I was, um, I was just, just gotten married and I told Mary was, I said, listen, I go, she says, I want to get married. You can't do, you can't keep doing this. You can't keep vanishing for six months and going into the hinterland and being Because you were just straight up South America, right? You yeah, were just and off. Southeast Asia. Oh, the, okay. the, 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 the ultimate mission was Southeast Asia. And that was, and what we do back then, it kind of looked like Mac V. Sog. It didn't look like War and Terror. It didn't look on the Balkans. It's just different. I mean, you're over the wire for multiple days. It's, I mean, you go over the wire and you're in great shape. You come back like 16 pounds lighter in 10 days. I mean, it's really hard on the body. I mean, you come in, your, your, your uniform just dissolves off you. It's just, it's, it's a, it's tough bush. And so, but you get through all that stuff. You do what you got to do come home. And it's like, okay, you you need to get, you need to, I know you got to stay in the reserves, but you got to get out of this. No problem. But what's interesting about it is that it's, so the instant part, I was driving over and I says, you know, what kind of my closest friends, what is some of the, what is the one, one thing we have in common? Shared suffering. Yes. Uh, you know, stress inoculation is what Rob calls it, but shared suffering is what I call it. And it's something that's crazy about how have gone, going through something that pressure tests you together collectively brings you, I mean, it it really does bring you closer together. Don't you agree? I agree. And I think the challenge to that was, is that, so I I don't know how, I think in SEAL school they have it, but they certainly have in range school, certainly have in SF school, they have peer evaluations. So you can have somebody who's a really great student, really great when the, the spotlight's on them, or we call them spotlights, is that when the spotlight's yeah, off you, know you're, you're not a good person. And you're you're about yourself. And it's really, again, it's not about yourself. It's about, do you make the team, the group, the mission better? Because, you know, in the military, it's like, do I live or die as a result of that? Exactly. Or, or do we succeed on that? And do, do I keep thousands of the people from dying? Success is based on mortality, though. Exactly. It's not based on it is. revenue. Exactly. And so, but in the other, but in the other case, though, is you will deal with people in business, and you've seen that that they keep score with money. Okay. And we've seen folks like that, and, and that's not bad. It's not. I don't think it's particularly an evolved sense of of value systems. But um, on the other side, though, is that it's that shared suffering, that pressure testing. The other part too is that usually in those environments, especially in a team environment, you know, everybody kind of goes, okay, you've been through. And you also see how people are. And those are folks that you can kind of go, those are folks I can count on when the chips are down. Not because I have a need and I'm always going to go back to it, but there's a time you need to absolutely must have it, must succeed, or I need to get out of, I get out of a jam or I need this kind of help. Or someone has a specific skill set or perspective that you need and they're there for you. 
the 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 only thing I tell that to people when they've they've approached me for help, I says, listen, it's like literally the Corleones. It's like someday I may ask for a service that day may never come. <laughs> yeah. But there's times it will, and it and it does. Hundred percent, and it's like professional equity yeah. that you trade on. It's just. Uh, it seems dodgy, but it is absolutely yeah. the right way to approach it. I know that you're Italian, and I know that you're, but um, but by the way, let me finish the thought. So, the yeah. part was so I saw Joe Cava as you did in PTC. Joe's been a longtime friend. We've known mm-hmm. Joe forever. Uh, Joe joined, which I give him a hard time. He joined um, the, the 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 private club just down the road from his cow club. Word myself, Vanderson, and Shaputis and Balajadia are at Lake Merced. And so the funny part was, but Joe Joe was looking for that experience. He's, his joke now is, I need a couple guys to die to get off the old guys to get off list. So I can get in the club. And he goes, he makes a good point. Is that he goes for as big as the data center business is, and I'm talking from a construction management, um, ownership, finance, manufacturing standpoint. When you pull all that back, there's and, and you're talking tens of billions of dollars of capital work annually on a global basis. Mm-hmm. There's probably less than 200 people that run that business in the world and have influence in it. Or as I use the term, make your own weather. And it's not because you want to force yourself or force majeure yourself into it, but you're, you're a player. And I, I think you're one of those guys. I think certainly Joe's one of those guys. I think Matt and Matt and Justin are one of those guys. Our job, by the way, is to take the young guys in our organization at Rosen and around us. And I consider you part of that e- ecosystem. And I bring you along. Oh, yeah, my you've mentioned is, me a lot. My, my job is to build that. My, let me tell you a funny yeah. story, Mattis. Yeah. I've known who you were long before I met you. And I remember when I went to, I had to like a, it was like a five-month stint where I was an MPS, yeah. you know, trying with, um, awesome story. I'm yeah. not ashamed of that story at all. In fact, I did not leave because I don't like Matt and JT. Obviously, they're my, you know, I love Close those guys. Friends. I left because there's, you know, when you, when you go through something that I've went through a point in time yeah. in your life, you will promise yourself something and you'll maintain that you'll, you'll hold yourself to those things. And for me, I was like, I have to do these. And those guys were awesome. That's why we're still friends. They're like, Kirk, I totally get it. Like we're yeah. not. And, um, and I remember sitting back in that five months where I was there and I was like, Hey guys, who's this fucking powerhouse that I keep reading about? His name's Bill Mazzetti. And I said, uh, is he a good dude? And those guys had nothing but reverence, yeah. right? Like, those dudes don't give out their respect to people yeah. without earning it. Do you understand? Yeah. Like, that's why yeah. I like them. But we like, don't do this. So the guys, so you kind of talk about paying it forward or paying it back. Yeah. And it's a little bit like, you know, you don't pick a mentor. You don't pick a friend. Sometimes the friends pick you. And it, it's a little bit like, okay, these guys, these guys have the emotional, physical, uh, professional capability to do this. And so getting back to Joe's comment was those sort of people, it's not like, oh yeah, I just, I kind of, I kind of married into money or something like that. That is shared. That is absolutely shared, shared, suffering. shared suffering. And we're talking about going through businesses now. So go back to my data center history in the eighties when it was bus and tag mainframe, 415 Hertz motor generators, chill water. And what I hear in the nineties, we'll never see water in the data center again. Oh, for sure. Really? We'll see. I mean, obviously, we're seeing it now. But immersed, immersed service. Immersed. By the way, kind of water, kind of not. But by the way, and so, but my point is, there's is water jackets. I mean, you're talking about the liquid. heat exchangers back. You're talking about I mean, oil based, exactly. you know, like mineral oil based. Or you're, immersion. or you're even talking about stuff that's the the non dielectric uh, cooling mediums. But my point being is that these are people that have evolved, have stayed in the craft, and evolved along the time with it. They're not journeymen. They are. I gotta get Joe on here. I want to understand how he went from zero. You know, we all started it somewhere. We all started at zero to, you know, Joe, Kava, Google, yeah. right? And I bet you he's got a, a lot of scars, too, to get sure. to where he's at. People Everybody just don't does. see that. So yeah. you, look at, you look at folks, look across. 
Cross is a great example. I mean, at Digital, really was the engine of that. Cross was, for most people don't know, Cross was the one that made the suggestion that we should start MPS in the skid business and do that offsite. Okay? Don't even surprise Everybody knows. By the way, more than a few people know that. And so, but, you know, Chris Chris is at digital, and then you, you find out you don't get the top job. By the way, that happens, right? But unlike, like, at the unit where three guys are going for the commander spot, well, one guy's going to get it, and the other two guys are going to get really, really great jobs somewhere else, but it's not going to be that one. Well, in, in, in corporate life, it's like, well, you don't get the top job, or you don't get the job you want, and go pound sand. Well, you, you don't go, like it, Well, listen, I think, though... Uh... You're at that stage where all of them are qualified to be CEOs of whatever, and he's proven that, right? Yeah. So he went out and he recreated this whole new product in the industry that helped streamline stuff. And then the creation of his product, it created MPS. Which, by the way, that whole the whole theory of MPS and that modularity, and it's kind of basically we're going to adapt it. By the way, you know what? That's a complete analogy for us, the cloud. So if you look at data center, so I go back to the point where before the uptime issue, so Charlie Krieger ran the Computer Users Roundtable, which was... The, the precursor was, was that Frank, like the genesis of uptime? It was the genesis of uptime, but they basically copied the idea. Basically, put a bunch of computer users together. Now, Charlie didn't charge for it. They just go have lunch. They have a meeting like at Chevron or, you know, at Collect Intel. Yeah, try to understand what's going on. Just help each other out. Yeah. And so, didn't monetize it. He just wanted to have everybody be better at their. their, their How do you understand the trends unless you're aggregating? Exactly. But you take Cross, who's like, okay, so if you look at Cloudy, we went from a bus and tag, you know, DASD kind of specific compute environment. Hardware's married to hardware's married to application. I mean, literally, physically married to application. It's not distributed. And all of a sudden, you take Cross's piece, which is, okay, I'm going to do a lot of the same thing. And what's that sound like? Sounds the like automotive it. industry. He and, recreated the way that we produce data and centers. And servers. Yes. And in many cases now, now basically all, if you can extrapolate that to software-defined networks, software-defined storage, software-defined processing, that's... So Chris was kind of taking... Because he came from the services side of the business, not the facility side of the business, when he came out of Nortel. And you turn around and go, he kind of took that. And by the way, before they realized, and before the crowd, cloud was around, we were real fortunate to build some of the earliest stuff, both in the Azure side of the house and the AWS side of the house. And We being? Rosenin. Okay. Because this is like 06. Early days. When you got the Rosen, how big were they then? Uh, 147 million bucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now they're top line three billion? Three, three and change, three and a half, three, two. It's know. a lot of change, man. It is. A lot of folks. And that's and I think that's a challenge with uh, with the executive committee. They've just it grows and it just kind of it's not growing. I think it's kind of morphing. And the guys have done a great job. Is there job a bigger electrical contractor in North America than Rosen? I think is a so it's different. So I think when you look at somebody like Quanta, you look at somebody like MCOR, it's different in the fact is that they are they're just organized differently. We're more monolithic. We're more kind of everything collaborates. Um, the other ones might be a little bit more um, like their holding company maybe bigger, but not the kind of we're holding company in and of itself. But the fact is is that I think we're more cooperative. And we do we do for example safety is a corporate wide thing, personal is a corporate wide thing. I can't speak to the other ones. I mean you can read the ten Ks and ten Qs, but we're certainly on a private basis the largest, especially some. And the fact and so damn. But, 147 to 3. Go. It's crazy. And, you know, it's been a great ride. But I think the greatest thing that comes from So you go back to Cross a little bit. So he saw that and said, like, listen, okay, I'm not going to do these bespoke facilities that are built, which were still done that way. And by the way, was in when, and he, remember, he came out of GI Partners and the, the wreckage of the dot com where real estate 
data center real estate turn from a strategic investment like a factory. I make this and I make information. Well, now I make information more generically, turn it into a real estate solution, turn from a, a real estate investment solution. And that broke the whole model. Now, Chris was at the very beginning of that. So was Jimmy. So was Joe. Joe was at Raging Wire. A lot of the guys that are like the players now were way back there. You kind exactly. of follow them all the way back. They're hiding in the weeds and we're down in our mid-level VP jobs or director jobs. And we stuck around. And so, but Chris was the first one to kind of get it. And, and then he kind of, to put it bluntly, I mean, uh, listen, we have a lot of friends in this business, right? A lot of friends private equity backed. Like, you know, I come in, I get the CEO job, and nothing against him. Chris fucking bootstrapped that job. Friends and family calling me up. So the joke was, Chris calls me and goes, listen, I want you to invest in Compass when it comes public. It's about the first time that Facebook was going public. Now, people... People don't know this, but Tom Furlong and I went to high school together. Tom Shut was up. SI class of 86. So maybe I knew Ac- Tom in high school. Academy grad. Yeah. So 86, he's a boat driver. But Tom and I've got, so I knew Tom in high school. You know, <clears> a senior knowing a sophomore is kind of an odd piece, but I just got to know Tom. Good guy. Which one of you guys were older? I am. Okay. I am. So I'm, I'm 60, he's 50, 59 now. So, but the long story short is I knew Tom in high school. So we have, we go way, 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 back. way, 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 way back. So he grew up in Tiburon, Sailor. I grew up in the city, played lacrosse. But, you know, went to the same high school. It's an all-boys high school. Great. I mean, just it's it's like a, a frat house for, like, you know, 1,200 kids. And it was just great. We had a great time. But I So I go all the way back with Tom, and it's like, Chris, I go, I got so much money I want to deploy. I go, literally, yes, I believe in the mission. But I'm, but I'm going with Tom. because. <laughs> so what's funny is I was Tom's reference to go from when he went from Yahoo to Facebook. Was he before? Was he like uh, Exodus or Equinix or I, 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 Equinix in the old days? Ex- oh, sorry, Exodus in the old Exodus, days. Exodus, so way way it. back. Started at Bechtel, went to Equi- and went to went to Exodus, um, and then uh, came went to Yahoo, and then went Yahoo to Facebook. One of the things I'll tell you, my furlong story, my favorite, my first furlong story is um, I worked for Mark DeStefano. DeStefano sends yeah. this guy named Mark a note and says, "Hey, Mark, if you have a few minutes, I'd love to introduce you to Kirk." He's going to be out there, you know, next week. Yeah. Do you have a few minutes for him? Guy responds immediately. And he's like, "Yeah, I'd love to." Hey, Kirk, yeah. swing by the office. Love to meet with you. Yeah. No idea who he is. That is how unassuming he is. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He's and, that guy. And you know, and I think what Tom's going through right now. You know, you look at. So what's funny in the old days when I started in the data center business, every week I got on a plane. Data center business was New York, a little bit of Chicago, maybe a little bit of insurance work. When you're building the sites, they're outside the city after a while. Now, my clients are off the 101, or depending on one client, I got to drive down 280. Okay, so I can, it's, you know, I jump on, I jump on the, I jump yeah, on the big right hoopty there. and down the, down the freeway I go in the Lexus lane and, and I pull off and see whoever I need to see. And so it's a little easier, it's a little more civilized now versus, you know, grinding it out to JFK every week or newer. And so, but Tom's been, you know, Tom got into Facebook. I remember going into there and it, it's kind of funny. I kind of feel like I'm almost the Forrest Gump of data centers because, you know, Tom got hired. He was like, like number one twenty. I mean, they were all in one big office bullpen and on University Avenue in in uh, Palo Alto in downtown. It's like, here's the office door. Stand up, turn around, wave at Mark. He waves back. You sit down. I mean, it was it's just crazy how that stuff's around. Around for GI partners. And by the way, Matt and Matt and JT were around for that ride in the beginning. And when we started the business together, and I brought the business into Rosenheim because I was known in the business, worked in it my whole career. And then, um, but then, you know, need a How couple. did you go? You went from Mazzetti. I know we're all over the place, but I love this about us. No. We have all the time in the world, so take your time. So when you were, yeah, take a number, right? So I, Dean Nelson and I did a podcast once and, it, and like we were off camera once and he's yeah. like, this will be a competition to see whose ADHD is worse. Yeah. <laughs> so 
you went Santa Clara, you went reserves, we unpackaged yeah. your military stuff, but then you went into- Went to work for Charlie. So I, so I- And I'm then run, how did you go to Mazzetti? Because you were at so, your dad's so shop I, for a while. I, I worked I worked for Kel, I worked for Charlie, then I went to Keller and Gannon for about three years, and I worked DOD work all over the Keller place. who? Keller and Gannon, owned by Knight, owned by Knight, which was bought by Xander. They did DOD work. So I did, when I was a kid, I did uh, a nuke lab at Berkeley. I did Voice of America radio station, Central South America. Um, I did. Uh, I designed for the GPS stations, including the one on Diego Garcia. Did uh, work in Subic Bay. Did work in Guam. I mean, when you're young, it's like hell yeah. Get on a plane, go on TDY. Yeah, I mean, I made a ton of money. Do that's how you save money. To, so yeah. you talk about life goals. I need to get money to buy a house. I just plow my TDY money into the into the markets and make some dough. So the funny part was is that the the funniest story to that it's like okay, we're going to send you to Hawaii for a month. <laughs> like sign yeah! me up. Yeah, except. You're going to go work at Kania Station, which if you know anything about Kania Station. Off, like somewhere remote. Dude, it's buried in the mountain. You don't, you know, you go in at 7.30, you come out at 5, and you don't see the light, you don't see natural light all day. Now, you come out at 5.30, you go to the beach, you can hang out, but it's like I go underground like a gopher. And sure. so, so a great deal, I mean, and that's great when you're that old. And what's interesting, because what, what was fun about SF is that, you know how the military is, you put very young people into very, you know, a lot of responsibility, and you got to just sack up and get on with it. So it's the same thing. Do do I mind going to a country where I don't speak the language? Fine, I go I go native. Uh, you find going to like you know going to thirteen different countries in three years? Sure. Don't have, you know, I ties at home with family and life friends. is short. Let's roll. Exactly. Were you married then? No, got okay. married in uh, nineteen ninety. So, so did that for a while, and then left K and G. Went to work for dad, and I was in, working for dad. Dad, like I said, did the grocery food business, did healthcare. Not a lot of data centers. Charlie did that in town, and Charlie and Dad were such good friends. That was kind of like, okay, there was um, Kamisa with, uh, Daryl with, and Mel Kamisa, and Charlie and my dad were kind of the three main electrical consultants in San Francisco. And they kind of carved up the town. So Mel owned UCSF and a lot of medical work. We let Mel had that. Charlie had the data centers and a lot of the cor corporate commercial work. Dad did kind of the industrial food processing. They kind of just didn't cross over. And by the way, it was the gentleman's agreement. If somebody would call you and use their customer, they, you would call them and go, hey, listen, I'm going to call. I don't want to do this. I'm uncomfortable. Yeah, you yeah, real relationships, real respect. It yeah. was just the 70s and 80s. And so it's, you kind of learn the gentleman's game from there. So, um, But end up coming to – so I end up going to the, the, the family business in, oh, gosh, 89. So I'm just out of, the, just out of, just out of SF school and uh, start getting through it. And so I end up like – I end up – so Charlie's retiring. Uh, some of that business comes over. I'm doing it. And it's the same thing. It's kind of, and, and so how I got in the business, and at this point I'm competing against Mike Mossman and Peter Gross. And they're doing all the big data center work. Mike owns all this stuff. And so, Mossman, same, yeah. Yeah. and so here's the deal though. The stuff they wouldn't touch is live retrofit. And I'm talking mm. live, like the facility doesn't shut down. You're, cut, you're putting yeah, a couple you're... taps on feeders. I mean, you're doing really dangerous shit. Dangerous stuff. And so that was my specialty. I got to do highly Open heart scripting, surgery. Open heart surgery, neurosurgery. And I got good at it. My break job, of which, in fact, it was uh, um, uh, Don Lee, who used to be the SVP. Of, of course the, I know who he is. So Don was a, a friend and mentor of mine for years. Um, and I'll t and Bank of America? Yeah. SVP at Bank of America. Has two PhDs in nuclear physics. Yeah, he's one of the smartest people and, so, and it's funny because Don's uh, – so I uh, – 
Don and I go to lunch after I say I'm leaving Mazzetti, and it's like, Don would call me, and even though he'd have HOK or Cisco working on his stuff, I get called in for the special work, the stuff that's like, I need a Complicated, messy. Yeah, and I'll tell you how I got, so, the, and it kind of leads to the, you know, how, how all of our careers in life work. You meet the right girl, you know, you, you live in the right spot, you've got, you know, you've worked hard in your business and your career, so it's, I think you make your own luck, but there is a, there is a point in time that luck is just luck, you're in the right place at the right time. 100%. So Don's, Don's there, and he goes, you know, why are you going from, you know, Mazzetti to Rosenden? I go, well... Don, here's how it works. I go, I go to Rosenin, I design it, we put the script together, how to put it together, we see what the hell out of it in his vernacular, which is change management and research. I go, and then they go build the goddamn thing. I don't have to fight him about it. And he, Don sat there for a minute, and Don always had on-site on-site consultants and on-site contractors. And he goes, Jesus, that makes a lot of sense. Marrying the two. Exactly. So get get to Rosenin. We're doing $12 million a year of Michigan work back then. First job was an interview for the Progressive Data Center. It was a holder job in Denver. Don't get it. We finished second. It was funny. I come out, and it's like, oh, we're only allowing four people in the room. You're kidding me, right? It's like, we brought five. Well, you can't come in, Ms. Eddie. you got to sit in the lobby. So I'm just sitting there like a, like a father waiting for the child to arrive. And we come out, and they did a good interview by all measure, and we didn't get the job. And so, you know, it started kind of chipping away. So this is, you know, this is... Oh four. This is kind of what so you know. You have your PE by then. Oh yeah, I had the PE. I got my PE at twenty, twenty four. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, the, the number's ancient, and so uh, in sure. the thirteen thousands in, in the state in in, uh, oh, in, wow, in California. Is. Anyway, long story short, so you just kind of you know earnestly flogging your wares, and so old clients. You know what happens? Old clients follow you in, and that's what happened. A couple of clients did that, and you know, to be honest with you, I have no idea how Cro- No, I know how we got together with Crosby. So Cross is the sales guy working for GI Partner, standing up this real estate fund. It wasn't called Digital Really Trust. The point it was just part of one of the funds that uh, that Magnuson, Magnuson had had raised. And so I meet Chris. So we are at of all things an Afcom meeting, national conference in Chicago. So Crosby is all of maybe 24, 25, scrubbed, got his pitch done, and he's just kind of standing there by himself. Now Chris is not a not a wallflower by any measure, but you know he's like kind of standing there. I go over and it's like. Okay, tell me about, so, but a lot of my friends in San Francisco are private equity guys, investment bankers, so just kind of the, the my friends. And so you kind of, oh, you're from an investment fund. Tell me, why, why are you here? Because this is not a spot. Well, you know, we've, we're buying up all these distressed assets and we're doing this. And then I go, so you're telling me that you're going to turn the data center business into a real estate investment business? He goes, yeah, I am standing 10 feet from Mark Binnington at that time. And I go, Biddy, get over here. I go, you need to listen to this because this is the smartest goddamn idea I've heard in 15 years. And Chris lays it out, and, he, and but he's like trying to process because this is like, you know, you're talking about people that would spend, you know, three million, you know, thirty million a megawatt to build a data center. Yeah, I that's mean, unbelievable. So, so we're talking about, you know, there's four tier four facilities in the in the world. They're built on average. Uh, in fact, that was a that was a, um, uh, a trivia contest between Misha Putis, Vanderson, and Balajati over the weekend. There's only four. The average cost is 50 million a megawatt. B of A, it's a peak of its powers. With all the CWA process, everything else they did, they would build at 37 million a megawatt. And I think, arguably, with all due respect to my friends at J.P. Morgan Chase and a lot of other places, probably had the best f- critical facility portfolio in the world. Not that. Those guys aren't as good, but from a consistency basis, I think B of A was kind of the, the platinum standard. So it's like, holy cow. So I, you talk about like, I'm going to go talk to that guy because he just looks lonely. Okay. It's my mother's gift. It's like, okay. You know, you never know. You, what, how, do you, how, do you, how do you meet the, how do you meet the queen or the princess? Kiss a lot of frogs. Yeah. So do that. And then it's like, but it goes back to like, 
94 when I was working in Mazzetti, and I go to the first, it was not 7x24, but it was the Unerable Uptime User Group. That portfolio is in my bag. It is considered to be my most valued um, valued business possession. It's a black uh, Bosca portfolio, black leather. I still have it. It's never, it's literally like a sidearm. It's never off my body when I'm deployed. And it was funny because it's, I go to this, I go to this conference in 94, like right when they first did like a national conference in Dallas, I come back and partners me goes, what's this all about? I go, you know, this internet, I think it's going to be a big thing. So <laughs> yeah. it kind of starts, you just kind of, maybe you just get a sense of it, but you yeah. kind of, you have to tug on the string a little bit. This is late eighties. Yeah. So it starts with digital. It kind of keeps going. And then, you know, um, at that time, Rosen wasn't really a, a, you know, kind of the dominant provider. It was really coop, um, did a good job to a certain extent. And then, uh, you know, we just kept chipping away at it. You kind of, you just, you know, they say, well, how do you, how do you be successful? You, you go till someone tells you to stop. You put the rucksack on and you keep walking. That's and it. you go till somebody tells you to stop. Exactly. It's not about you determining that. It's the market and your, and your peers or your customer at that point. I agree. So we just kind of, we hit that. Um, we worked, uh, we did work for Apple, did work for the tech companies, did work for Microsoft when they were early in the, in the, in the, uh, in the cycle. Um, Certainly with Facebook, we were lucky at Facebook. We did all their work exclusively for a few years. That built a larger portfolio, so it just starts to kind of gain gain steam. That allows us to bring the executives like the Canon McAdoo's, like the certainly JT and Matt to start with. It was Matt first, and then JT came in, and then Matt kind of took a little more superior position. But that, you know, I told them when they're like, you know, in their late 20s, early 30s, I go, dude, you're getting groomed for corner offices. Get used to playing on this field size. You know, and that and that served them well. Both those guys are you know, early mid forties right now, and they are they are luminaries in the business. By and by, and by great men, great family people. I mean, on Just top of all, they're 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 great people. Yeah. So I mean, I think we've been lucky to be in the right place at the right time for a lot of that stuff. Does that mean you get every job? Heck no. But what you should do, and you know this, like in the military, where you come off of, come off an athletic field, you go, okay, that didn't work. Don't don't piss and moan like a little bitch. Sit down and sit down and take a hard look at why you failed, and fix, fix it. it. And then, by the way, anticipate what the next three moves are and get ahead of that. There are days it's not you. I don't care. I've I've walked into that room with with not as good a team, not the best number, not the best schedule, not the best plan, and we win the day for whatever reason. Most times, that doesn't happen. But there's times you've also walked in and you know you've crushed it. You know you've done the best number. You've got the rest, best thing. You don't win today. Guess what? Some, and, but go back, but don't be emotional about it. Just, it, it's not about you. I've got a thousand people, and now in this case at Rosenin, I mean, if you look at the people attached to the data center business in Rosenin, that's about 3,000 people every day. I have 3,000 people I feel directly responsible for, as do my peers inside the outfit. And so it's like, okay, you know what? You want to go home and tell them they lost the job because you're a leader and you, you've got to keep the, the business going because you can rain make? It does do something to you when you're responsible for yes, other sir. souls. Yes, you do. When you, you are responsible for the souls, you do, mm -hmm. you do work more selflessly and you suffer yeah. more of an inconvenience yeah. without, a, without complaining. I, I had a chief that introduced me in an early age to what's called the rule of threes. Are you familiar with this? Mm -hmm. So one-third of your time is going to be great, one-third will be okay, and one-third will suck. And I looked at that where whenever I had a great one, I was like, yeah. oh, I'm going to have an okay one and a shitty one still to follow, right? But if you have your shitty one, you're like, cool, it's going to be good yeah. or great next, yeah. right? So you learn to develop emotional range by understanding, like, oh, that's just inevitable. It's part of yeah. it. And I also think there's kind of an emotional callus. So the joke is about the rule of three is I always think, 
um, this is an SF thing. It's like bad shit comes in threes. Yeah. So if it's the first one, okay, you got to yeah. do the first next couple. And by the way, the 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 the, the I heard that desk come in three. Yeah. Yeah. And so the other side of it too is so sometimes <clears throat> bad stuff just keeps happening. That goes back to the point was you need to stop and reset and realize can you fix it? And there's times, Kirk, and you know this, you can't fix it. Yeah. You this is going to be a fatal mistake for you, your company, your team. And sometimes you gotta step off the field. Today you just got your ass handed to you. Yeah. Okay? It's gonna happen. Don't and by the way, and so if you're if you're committed to a business, you guys are certainly a mission critical business. What's funny is I start actually starting a life science. One of my great joys in life is really bioscience, uh bio, research facilities, biotech. Was good at it. I just it's just a it's just a You're a nerd. You love that stuff. You love advanced stuff. science. Exactly. But what's funny is that when you <clears throat> live in an ecosystem long enough you know, certain species rise and fall. It happens. It's just, and it's just, that's the nature when you're in the data center business for a couple of decades. By the way, not only do you rise and fall based on, you know, we don't like you, Mazzetti, because you're Italian or you're fat or you got blue eyes today. Hey, it's not your day to day. Okay. And, or those guys are making a more compelling pitch or, or commercial argument. Guess yeah, what? I win them all. Yeah. Go home and work harder. Yep. And it says, but the fact is when you're around long enough, you realize, and I, I believe in the rule of seven. The rule of seven is that the data center industry recasts itself every seven years. Okay, so let me back up on my saying that. So right now, everybody's talking about a chat, chat GPT. Um, uh, yeah. So the fact is that's AI. And it's AI that's, I wouldn't say weaponized, but now you're dealing with data foundries that are at scale. And the thing with AI, AI requires an immense amount of processing. And so now you actually have compute facilities that can do that. And can do it on demand, whether it's in the it's in Azure, it's in AWS, it's in Google Cloud. You can do that stuff. I mean, I actually tried the new Bing this morning, like because they've turned. It's like holy cow! I mean, it's like I, I'm like I'm sending my money, guys. Going okay, th thank God we've got a lot of money parked in Microsoft because it's going to turn to a lot more money real quickly. But there's certainly a fad to it. But there's also a point where there's there's a confluence of network application hardware and and market. And it's there. And so does this, is this going to turn to Hal and Skynet or something like that? Oh, yeah, for sure. That's, Maybe. The, that's the fear. Maybe. There is. But you go back. So you go back to, so this is 2023. You back up to 2014. And that's really kind of the, the height of, I think, where commercialized real estate, the, the cola business was. And that's a mature business. Nothing, it's not like it's going away. But it's really, that's kind of evolved to that point. You back up to 2007. And what do you have? AWS, the birth of the cloud. You know what that was? My dog's eating that dog food. Your dog's going to look great eating that too. And by the way, AWS built same thing like Azure was built out of a, out of a uh, out of a repurposed internal pro product. AWS was the the was the Amazon backplane running the business. Azure was built from the gaming platform. Okay, so a bunch of smart people. It's like so you're kind of aware of your surroundings as we do in our environment. You go. Or cross. Or you just like, wait a second. If I put some time and cows into this thing, maybe I can use that thing for something different. I can really multiply the efficacy of that investment or what we're doing here. Those companies did that. A lot of smart people working there. You go back another 10 years or seven years, 2000, Y2K. Okay? So people talk about Y2K is such a failure. But think about it for a minute. We're still, we're still running... We're still running a network over fiber that was laid back then. You talk about businesses that came out of this. So you kind of talk about the problem about being old. The fact is you're not, you're not omnipotent. You've just been around long enough to see stuff. SP Telecom, 
So that was the first long-haul fiber business, right? That was Southern Pacific Telecom. They ran that stuff down the railroad right away because I can run that thing for 400 freaking miles and just have my shelters down there boosting the signal. Still a lot of dark fiber, you know? Okay. Well, a couple other things came out of the dot-com, okay? You've got, um, you've kind of got, people joke about, um, was it um, uh, Chewy, Chewy.com right now, right? We buy stuff for Murphy on that. And it's like, great. So, oh, that's a great business. They sold that to what, three and a half billion dollars to Walmart? You remember the talking sock puppet? Mm. Petfood.com, pets.com. That little talking dog sock puppet. The thing went bankrupt. Guess what? 20 years later, it's a $3 billion business. Webvan, one of my dad's customers. We're gonna, we're gonna take, Webvan was really, okay, we're gonna take groceries and we're gonna, you're gonna order them by faxing in an order, and we're gonna put it together and send it to you. We're gonna deliver it to your house. God, blew up in the dot com. Guess what? Sure as hell sounds like Grubhub and Amazon and everything yeah, that's going on right now. For sure. So there's times where they're great ideas, and sometimes just I think just ahead of their time. Exactly. Exactly. The market but, wasn't mature enough for it. Exactly. They adopted it at a rate. And, and which the funny thing about it. market is that you got ideas, but <clears throat> this is a commercial enterprise. You might have the best idea in the world, unless somebody buys it, you're not. Best friend growing up, Bill Bentley. Um, his dad was a uh, family attorney in town, uh, but San Francisco Golf Club member, Cypress member, kind of plugged in the PU club, that part of town. And Mr. Bentley would always interview young attorneys coming out of school. And he goes, what's the most important thing for an attorney to have? And he goes, and he goes like, knowledge of the law, passion for justice. And he goes, no, clients. Because yeah. if you don't have clients, <laughs> you're selling or you're selling you're selling you're selling flowers on the side of the road, which is nothing against that. Yeah. What it means is you can't do what you want to do or are trained to do. Yeah, I mean the ability to do something or the structure of your company or the, even the culture of your company is the backbone, but the the exactly. lifeblood is the revenue that comes in. You need to have those clients. You know, it's funny because th- there are times where you know, I, I use also use the Men in Black. I, you know, you know me. I love I love telling anecdotes and stuff like that. So you remember in the first Men in Black movie, it's like, you know, this. Oh, we got to get on this thing because there's always a Karelian death ray about virus to about wipe on the plant about about to wipe out life on the planet. There's always a problem and challenge in business. Okay, once you just agree emotionally, agree that that's just in a leadership position. That that's just how life is. There's opportunity and challenge. Once you just kind of emotionally buy into that poker game, you're fine. Yeah, it's all emotion. You stop. You stop getting to be. I'm a victim, or life hates me. Guess what? Life is fair. Mother Nature. It's, Mother it's Nature spins the wheel, and she doesn't care if it comes up one or thirty. Whoever's on one or thirty gets two in the back of it, like <laughs> like Luca Brasi. So once you kind of get past that, but there's times where you also can't get so married to ideas that's like, this is it, this is it, because you know what? There's so much ownership, especially in this business, and you've seen it both on technology and real estate. I mean, look at Savas back in the day. Nothing wrong with Savas as a company, but Pepe goes in and goes, hey, listen, I firmly believe that I should be putting density in these buildings. It's 50% over what I can sell in the marketplace. Guess what? Today looks like a visionary. Back then, damn near broke the business. Yeah. So it's not that it was wrong. It was untimely. Yeah. But if you look at guys that have really done well, like Cross, like Joe, like folks, that so two things I think they do really well at. One is they adapt within their environment. In other words, they're sensitive enough to kind of tactically move around to kind of step around the landmines, but are also smart enough to see far enough ahead to know what's going to work, 
but stay in the in the the immediate in, in the the immediate to get it funded, get it pushed, get it built, and yeah. get it done. 